What's going on, Preds fans? Braden Gall here. And just to take you behind the curtain, we record the Gold Standard Podcast, myself and Michael Gallagher, around lunchtime every single Wednesday for your consumption every single Thursday. Uh, we recorded it, of course, before Kiefer Sherwood was released and placed on waivers by the Nashville Predators. He, of course, scored the very first goal of the entire season, the 27-year-old, uh, a speed guy who was kind of a part of the conversation today about philosophy and line changes and how John Hines can address and try to fix some of the things that are going wrong with the team. Um, he will probably clear waivers by the time you hear this and end up back in Milwaukee, but I thought we would mention it on the front end here before the pod started. Uh, of course, one goal, a couple of points. He only played nine minutes of ice time after being reinserted into the lineup on Tuesday against Edmonton. He's not a huge part of the show today, but I just wanted to make sure you guys all knew that we saw it, that we uh, acknowledged that it took place. Uh, and that he could be a part of the future down the road. But if it is, it's in the AHL with Milwaukee. So with that information, on to the show. Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. We do have much to discuss today on the show, and the phrase hot seat will be used at some point by one of us on the podcast at some point throughout the course of the conversation. You and I will continue our philosophical conversation about the style of play that this team needs to exhibit, uh, as we, of course, since the last time we talked, they destroyed St. Louis. Uh, and then got shut out by Washington and destroyed by Edmonton. So they are now 1-6-1, and one, the Nashville Predators are, since returning to this hemisphere. That's not good. So all the bad things we talked about last week on the show, they still are a major part of this team. And so we're going to get to line combinations and the coaching staff decisions and defense, offense, power play, penalties, a, a lot of stuff we've talked about, Michael, <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the past. And if you want to follow Michael, of course, not not to mention read all of his wonderful and amazing work at the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post. But if you'd like to see him call me out, I don't know if you weren't calling me out, but if you'd like to, in the middle of a, a blowout hockey game, if you want to see Michael tweet to me about how right he is, at MG Sports underscore is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, that was that was more so to just be like, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I, I just couldn't help but watch that game and just be like screaming like this is exactly what I am talking about because we saw it in, in the playoff series with Colorado and I felt like that was the beginning of the yeah. end of of this this identity that they keep forcing down everyone's throat. So it's sort of like three or four different com conversations kind of blended into one and it's what do we think the Predators identity should be combined with John Hines tinkering with lines maybe a little too much or too often because how he tinkers affects who their identity is and what their identity is. So that's kind of a conversation. I, I know you and Gover, by the way, listen to It's All Your Fault. A great conversation every single Monday there from the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post. It's All Your Fault podcast with Michael and Jeremy. And you guys started talking about trades, and I just about pulled out all of my hair listening to that show. So we're going to touch on the trades, which leads us into the conversation about John Hines' future with the organization. So there's a lot. It's very free-flowing today on the show, unlike the Nashville Predators offense. It will be very free-flowing. Uh, who knows where the conversation is going to go? Um, so we'll do that. Before we do any of that, however, the Gold Standard is a podcast about your Nashville Predators, and it is, in fact, brought to you by... Jaspers. That's right. Can, like, this is, be the, this is only going to be the... 
this will be the only positive portion of the podcast. So <laughs> let's really sell Jaspers here because this will be the fun part of the show, which is if you want a, a $10 smash burger and $3 beers that you're definitely going to need while watching your Nashville Predators, you go to Jaspers, you get free parking and you get those drink specials. And oh, by the way, lots of free games in the game room as well. So go to Probably Jaspers. Need some of those $3 beers after listening to this podcast too. I mean, you. I, in theory, I guess you could listen to the pod while sitting at Jasper's, but I don't. That that feels antisocial, and like they've got an amazing staff. The bartenders are great. Ideally, you're going with somebody to to drink beer. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like sitting at Jasper's alone drinking beer is probably unhealthy. Maybe uh, I don't know, but uh, uh, you could. You, I guess, in theory, you could be listening to the show while sitting at Jasper's. The game room is awesome. The grab and go market. It's a perfect place to watch the games, but also like lunch. If you need a lunch uh, business, you know, thing, if you need a afternoon after work, blow off steam happy hour, they got great happy hours, four to six. Most weekdays, they got buckets of beer every day. They got two for ones on Sunday. Um, not that the Titans offense is inspiring any more happiness, <laughs> but but at least they're winning games. So uh, you can go watch the Vols on Saturday. How about that? <laughs> go, watch go. The, go watch the Vols on Saturday. Guaranteed to have a good time. Okay. Go to Jasper's, everybody. And, of course, also support Weiss Liquors. Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, have the booze delivered to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. Great bourbon selection, locally owned and operated for almost 100 years. We are very proud to be partnered with Weiss Liquors and to and with Jasper. So please support local business, support local journalism, support local podcasts. You guys know the whole deal, so we, we really appreciate it here. So I, I guess my first question for you, and you, I'm assuming you don't have an answer for this, which is why I'm asking you. <laughs> Uh, what happened in the St. Louis game? Like what? Like the the only thing that's different since coming back to North America, one six and one was a six to two win where they actually made two comebacks. They scored five straight goals. All the stars delivered like nine points. I think it was nine points between Duchesne, Forsberg, and Yossi. Something we talked about last week on the show. And then they get shut out by Washington, and then obviously just skated out of the building in the first period by Edmonton on Tuesday night. What? Do you have any idea as to what was different against St. Louis, aside from the fact that the Blues are way worse than we thought? I, I think that's what it is. I think the Predators just happen to luck into running into a team that is struggling more than they are. I, I, I There's really no, there's no answer for it. I mean, they, the Stars played like the Stars. The defense played well. UC Saros played well. It, it was just, one, I feel like it was just one of those things where it was like, all the stars happened to align that night. I I don't I don't have an answer for it because they looked. You almost got the sense when they when they finally broke through and they put up six goals and they they took down division rival. There's almost this overwhelming sense of like okay, all the stupid stuff that they've been doing is kind of they they've got it out of their system now. But it that was the only game that it happened. They they've looked really <laughs> bad after that. So I, I I honestly have no no answer to that. I don't I don't know. I, I that's the thing is that like there's not. Um... There's not like again outside of the stars just being great. You're at home and St. Louis being terrible. Like we we've talked about it. This this team is uh, they are 27th in goals scored with 26. Six of those came in that game. They have 20 goals. The only if you take away that game, they have 20. They've scored 20 goals in nine games, and the only team that scored fewer than that is St. Louis. Whatever they did before that game, they need to keep doing it before the rest yeah. of the game. They play the rest of the season because I, I, it's they're they're so inconsistent and so frustrating that you you just you want 
to understand why they're so bad, but there there isn't really one thing. There's multiple things. There's so many things that are wrong with this team. It's just very frustrating. So a big part of our conversation and your columns on the Nashville Post, go check them out, uh, NashvillePost.com, has been about you, you the identity this the smash mouth beat you into the ground um you're all about speed you, you've been preaching this for a while now speed and speed and scoring speed and scoring now i think uh, i think one of the counterpoints to that argument is that well it's colorado colorado just has the reason they swept them was no uc saros and colorado just has a special collection of talent i think some of that also applies to edmonton there's no excuse to being you know, giving up four goals in the first period and 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 just getting skated out of the building. Like, you know, it looked like it looked like I'm I'm a dog person, so I don't have cats. I don't particularly love cats. I'm sure they're wonderful creatures, but you know how they like toy with stuff when they're when they're messing with things. Like that's how it felt watching Edmonton. It felt like Edmonton was just, was just like playing around, like having a scrimmage. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Losing to Edmonton because their skill is better than yours is is it is what it is. Like that's gonna happen. Your smash mouth concept, and then package that conversation with the line change and 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 John Hines sort of meddling with his lines too quickly. I want you to explain to the people that the Preds need to get away from this smash mouth identity and go with the other side of the equation, speed and scoring. T- tell me what that looks like because I hear you say it all the time, but I I want to know with the roster as it is currently constructed, what does that mean in your mind? I mean, point blank, what it means is this roster needs to be, I don't want to say gutted, but the, but it needs to have a serious facelift. And I, I don't think you can do a lot of this this year because the roster is built for this year. It is what it is. You can't exactly just jettison off like three or four players and call up or trade for, I mean, theoretically you could, but that David Boyle is not going to do that. I think what this looks like is, I don't know if John Hines just isn't the coach going forward. We can talk about that later on. I, I don't know if it's just getting different players, but, but this, this, the bully mentality of beating teams to into the ground is just not working for them. And we saw it against Colorado in the playoffs. We saw it with Edmonton. It's going to happen with a lot of the teams that they're going to have to play in the playoffs. If you look around at a lot of the teams that are near the top of their, at the top or near the top of their divisions, a lot of them are built with speed and skill, the hurricanes, the Rangers, the Panthers, the lightning, uh, Dallas is leading the central division. I, I would argue they're the only team that has a similar kind of style of play to the, to the predators where they're, they're a physical team. They're going to muscle you. They're going to hurt you. But I mean, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Colorado, Vegas, the Oilers, all these teams are built with speed and skill. And I'm not saying that the predators need to go exclusively with, with just speed and skill. You need the, those guys, those big, heavy guys, your Tanner, Janos, your Yakov trying to go out there and, Keep other teams honest, because if you're just getting pushed around, then that's obviously not what you want either. But, I mean, you look at the Predators now. They rank second in hits. They're 12th in block shots and takeaways. But where has that gotten them? They've scored the fourth fewest goals. They have the third fewest power play goals, the 10th fewest even strength goals. They're tied for fifth worst win percentage when leading after two periods. They have the third most missed shots. They have the seventh worst shooting percentage, the sixth worst save percentage. I mean, the offense is bad. And I feel like the offense is so bad because this team is so focused on hurting and going out there and just pissing off the other team that that it's really they've built the team's identity around this this smash mouth physicality part which is great but it's come at the expense of the offense and if you look at the at the teams that have done well throughout you know the predators teams that have traditionally done well and have went out and scored goals and all this stuff it's not been teams that are big and physical they've they've 
had you know an enforcer the, your rich clunes your wade Bilax, guys like that jordan tutu but most of the time they've had defensemen that can play on the rush and they can get back and they that are they're quick they're fast which that's they have team, they have a lot of those guys yeah but that's what this team is lacking is they don't have that they don't play that style of game anymore they they play this they play go find the other team and hit them regardless of whether they have the puck or not and i just feel like they're they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're not taking advantage of the skill set of all the players they have. Uh, okay, so aside from firing the coach and trading all the players, which we know is not a realistic thing that can happen right now. Just because I know you I know and I'm with you on this. Frustrated with how the coaching staff has sort I don't want to say like overmanaged the line combinations, right? Like you're you're clearly seeking for something, right? The coaching staff is tre- is clearly trying to find some semblance of chemistry between all these guys. Are they giving them enough time to gel and find that chemistry? I think you, you tend to not. obviously not. And I agree with you on that. So here's my, my question is more specifically about the current collection of players that John Hines has at his disposal. What is the act? What is the deployment of assets that would, in your opinion, allow them to go more speed and scoring? Because I've, I've got a pretty, I mean, I've, I've got my own opinions on this, but I want to hear yours first. Like, Aside from like you know dropping a nuclear bomb on the on Bridgestone Arena and like destroying the entire team in front office and and replacing them all with the current roster, what is it that you think would be a leaning away from? Because I, I so I, I get this is a tough thing to talk about because John Hines philosophically wants them to do what you're talking about, right? Like go find somebody, hit somebody, play 200 feet, four check, four check, four check. I get all of that. But when we just talk line combinations, who are the what's the personnel moves that he should be making that would allow them to go more speed and skill and scoring? Because, again, I I think there's some obvious answers here. Yeah, I mean, there's not just one there. There's multiple moves that need to be made. And if I'm if I'm David Poyle and or John Hines, these are the moves that I'm I've laid it out. These are the moves that I would make. I would break up that herd line and I would move Tanner Janot to the second line. He's the only player, in my opinion that has a rightful claim to play top six minutes that currently isn't. If you want to keep that, that third line as your identity line, then I would say move Michael McCarron up into Tanner Janot's spot. He's six, seven. He's physical. He can drop the gloves if you need him to. He brings some of the same grit Janot does, but he doesn't have the offensive ability, but you're not putting him on the, on that identity line for that's his right. offensive ability. You're, that's the bully line. That's the line that's going to go out there and hit people that allows you to keep that third line, that herd line or whatever you want to call him allows you to keep that line mostly intact. You're, you're sacrificing the offense of Janot, but you're you're getting much of the same defensively with McCarron. Okay, and physicality. I get, okay. Yeah. So you you have to have at least a physical line to start penalty kills, to start yeah. periods, like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that also helps too, because McCarron can play center, he can play wings, isn't the same thing. Like it, it just makes it a well-rounded line and it keeps it defensively intact. The next thing I would do is I would get Cole Smith and Zach Sanford the hell out of there. Cole Smith and his three points and eight shots and Zach Sanford and his one goal and six shots aren't making this team any more competitive than if you and I were on that fourth line right now. And and I get the fourth line. You're is, giving is, me you're giving my skating ability a lot of credit there. Well, I can't skate at all. So that's just showing you how competent <laughs> I am in our abilities. Over, there you, over there you go. Cole Smith and, and Zach Sanford. And, and I get the fourth line is only supposed to play like 10 minutes a night. But you can't convince me that a fourth line of McCarron, Smith, and Sanford gives you a better chance to win than a, than a, any combination of Ellie Tolvin and Cody Glass and Philip Tomasino, Yusuf Parson and Igor Afanasiev, any of the young guys. 
I would also switch up how those lines are deployed. And I think a lot of the thing, a lot of people are saying, I, I get why Philip Tomasino is in the AHL. He does not need to be in the AHL. And there's the argument over if he's playing 20 minutes a night in Milwaukee over 10 minutes a night in Nashville, that's better for his development. I say you get rid of that stigma that fourth line players are only 10 minute a night players. Typically, the top line's 18 to 20 minutes, second line's 15 to 18 minutes, third line 14 to 16 minutes, and the fourth line 10 to 12 minutes. Level it out more. I say you cut the top line to 16 to 18 minutes, the second line to 14 to 16 minutes, and you you give that 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 fourth line, maybe you bump them up to 12 or 13 minutes along with the third line. I think the third and the fourth line should be playing almost evenly. There shouldn't be this disparity between those two. And I think the oh. team... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, because I've got, I've got my my plan and that's a good plan i don't love breaking up the herd line well i've got two more points go, go ahead and finish yeah go ahead and finish and, and the team is continuously getting exposed by younger faster more skilled players or teams like colorado and edmonton i think the simple solution would be to call up milwaukee players and i understand it's not as easy to just call them up plug them in and they're going to continue doing in what from milwaukee what they're doing in nashville i understand that but you need that speed you need that youth infusion thomasino Really fast skater. Afanasiev, he's more of a power forward, but he's also a fast skater. Yusuf Parson, he's also a fast skater. And I would also switch the top two centers. That's that's the final thing I would do. I think you're going to get more production out of this top line if it's Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne than you will with Granlin centering that line. I feel like Granlin is stronger as a wing player, not as a center. And if he's on that top line, he's just not going to play on the wing because Forsberg and Duchesne, the, the potential for them to score is greater than if Granlin's on the wing. I think if you were to do that, you could put Duchesne, or you could put, excuse me, you could put Granlin on the second line with Niederreiter, and then you could fill that up. Maybe you put Cody Glass back on there. Maybe you put Ellie Tolvin in there. I don't know. You you figure it out. But I would switch Johansson Duchesne because I feel like that top line is much better, especially defensively when Johansson's on that line than Granlin is. So if all, all Man, that's a lot. Things, yeah. All these things I said, basically, my lines would look like Forsberg, jo- Johansson, Duchesne on the first line, Niederreiter, Granlin, Janot on the second line. Trenton, Sissons, and McCarron on the third line, and Tolvin and Glass and Tomasino on the fourth line. But I would caveat that okay. by saying the fourth line would not be 10 minute per game. It would be close right, to right. 13 minutes. Man, okay. Um, I a lot at you, and I know, but I, no, feel, I like it. I like I it. Like a lot of those things I said and a lot of points I just made make a lot of sense when you think about where this team is and how bad they have been. So I, st- I wanted to get you to explain that because I, I saw like you did. And then I saw you tweeting about it before the game that Ellie Tolvanen and Kiefer Sherwood were going to be back in the lineup. And I thought, oh, this is going to be what Michael wants. He wants to see speed and skill get put back into the lineup. The problem is, is I thought it was going to be in place of the bully ball guys in place (laughs) of McCarron and Cole Smith and those types of guys. And it and they just what I feel like is is weird to me especially in a lineup against Edmonton. Now, I think we also need to be very clear. Like, if you're going to constantly compare every team in the NHL to Edmonton and Colorado's quote-unquote speed and skill, you are going to be worse than them. Like, that's just, there's, like, maybe Boston in its heyday with, with you know, Bergeron and Marchand and all those guys. Like, there's not many teams that are going to say, yeah, we're going to go speed for speed, skill for skill against Edmonton and Colorado and expect to compete. I just don't think you can do that. But if you're going to go more of a speed game, I, to me, what I thought was interesting was to your point was to not have glass in there. Now I, I am finding studying Cody glass to be fascinating 
because I think he is a modern athlete in that he is like sensitive is not the right word because I actually view that as a positive. Like, again, like me and my wife are all about destroying gender norms. Like I'm all for modern, like thinking about human psychology. But the the things that I don't think the staff is doing him any favors when it comes to sort of promoting his mental toughness. Right. Like, oh, he he makes a couple of bad plays in the third period. Then he gets benched. And even yeah. the NHL behind the scenes is just showing him crying. You know what I mean? Which, again, I think is great. It's a human emotion. But when you take him out of the lineup, like, like for small things, like what he's doing, and again, maybe it's not, maybe they're seeing things on tape or not. But to me, to go s- speed and skill is to, here's what I would do. I'm leaving the top line alone and I'm leaving the herd line alone. I am putting Philip Tomasino next to Ryan Johansson and Nito Niederreiter and, and having a guy, like, I need you to do some research on this. Maybe go over can. I need to hear I either need you, me, Gover, the three of us. We should come together and come up with some research. How many rookies scored 30 plus points and then didn't play the next season in the NHL? I just I, I don't know how many times that has happened. Maybe it's happened far more than I realize. I can look into that, especially at his age, you know, but I think that would be a, that to me is a story here. Like how many guys have ever had 32 points as rookies and then never played <laughs> like the next year? That seems dumb uh, or at least illogical. So Tomasino on the second line brings speed, it brings skill, it brings scoring onto that second line. It adds value to Johansson, who can distribute the puck to him, and and Niederreiter, who I think is right where he needs to be. I leave Janot alone. But if you're going to go speed, like this is where you need Cole Smith out of the lineup, AJ, AJ McCarron, Michael McCarron, <laughs> <laughs> Michael McCarron out of the lineup, Zach Sanford out of the lineup. I'm with you on all that stuff. But that this is where that fourth line... 10 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever the number is, that fourth line is where Tolvanen with Parsonen and Afanasiev, that is where you can allow those guys to use some speed, use some physicality, use some skill, and sort of have a nice blend down there of guys that are youthfully infusing the team with energy, which is exactly how we avoided a dumpster fire two years ago. Yeah. When 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 in March everyone was Fire David Poyle, trade Philip Forsberg, get rid of everybody, which is not all that far off from where fans are right now. And and that to me is like, I'm not suggesting you can do it twice. You can replicate the lightning in a bottle that Janot brought to the table. I think he's a special player. But if you're trying to infuse some energy, if nothing else to light a fire under the veterans... Afanasiev, Parsonen, and Tolvanen on the fourth line bring speed and skill and youthful exuberance. And your herd line, you don't have to mess with that line. They can still go out there and knock some heads and be the physical imposers and start penalty kills and be your first period line, your your first face-off line. I don't want to mess with the top line. I know you do. But that would be my plan. Insert Philip Tomasino to the second line. I I would either... Maybe it's not Parsonen and Afanasiev. Maybe it's Sherwood and Tolvanen on the fourth line with somebody in the middle I, with, with Cody glass in the middle, right? He like, for sure would has speed. And I understand that part of it. And like, yes, if you're going just purely for speed, but I'm not sold on key for sure. as an NHL player, I, I think he's, he's, he's David Carr 2.0. He's a really good AHL player and he's going to be a 30 to 40 goal AHL scorer, but he's just not cut out for the NHL. Who who do you like better? Afanasiev on the fourth line wing or Parsonen? I'm going to lead Afanasiev. I think Parson would be a good fourth line center, but I, I think I think if you give me right now my choice between the two of them and to 
in hopes of turning this around, I would probably go with Afanasyev just because he lacks he lacks Parsonen is the faster skater, but Afanasyev adds more in in explosiveness and goal scoring. Yep. So Afanasyev, Glass, Tolvanen, boom. That's your fourth line with a lot of scoring pop. Now that they're not going to. That would be a great fourth line. Yeah. If you're if again, all we're saying here is. You've been talking about this philosophical shift that you think the predators are in, you know, need to make. And I want if if we're going to say those types of things, which again I agree with you on, if we're going to say those types of things, then I want to present some options. And to me, having like mixing and matching the Tolvanen, Sherwood, Glass, Samford, McCarran, Smith, like it's like they're not picking the like you either need to go all in on one side or all in on the other. Like go yeah. all in on the his the physicality and get Tolvanen and Tomasino and Sherwood out of there. Or go all in on the speed and put glass in there with Tolvanen, with Tomasino, with Sherwood, with Afanasiev. Like you I feel like you you kind of need to go all in one way or the other. And I feel like they're kind yeah. of in the middle and they're mixing and matching. And that's where I feel like they're it's maybe not working correctly. But that's yeah, and, I, and I think John Hines honestly is probably just as lost as we are trying to figure this out. Like what what it trying to figure out what he does. The Predators have used 23 different forward line combinations this season through what 10 games, 11 10 games, games. 10 games. And they've used 13 different defensive pairings. Granted, some of that has been because of Mark Borbietsky and his injury and stuff, but all together. This lineup has gone through 33 different iterations of what they were from opening night through 10 games into the season. And I, I just feel like they they need to get some consistency and build some chemistry, yes, but they need to find out what, what works. And every time I watch this Predators team play, it reminds me of like watching a boxing match and you have the power puncher versus the guy who maybe has less power but has the speed advantage. And it always seems like if the power puncher doesn't catch them, doesn't catch catch him early in the fight, he's going to get worn down by the speed of the other team. And that's what happens to the Predators a lot of the times. If they don't catch you in the first period and they don't build up a big enough lead that they can hold on, a la the Titans in the second half, right. if they don't build up a big enough lead to where the, where they can do that, if you can catch them in the second and third period and you, and you can wear them down. And I just feel like they're getting beat by these teams with speed. And I think the way you fix that is to put some of your guys really great prospects that have the speed, put them into the lineup. I think it's, I, I still think it's indefensible that Philip Thomas, you know, while I understand why they did it, I don't agree with it. I, I just don't understand why you would put him in Milwaukee quickly. Just for those that don't haven't listened to every comment from John Hines, explain to people why he's there just real fast. Cause again, it makes no sense to anybody with half a brain, but Basically, I mean, like, I, I guess that's, that's not, I'm with you. I understand what, what their explanation is. I don't have to agree with it. Yeah. Basically, John Hines said that in not so many terms, Kiefer Sherwood outplayed him during training camp. And basically, they wanted to see some things from, Tom from Tomasino that they didn't see. And it was basically the Cody Glass situation last year where he said the NHL is not the league you develop in. It's the league you come when you're ready. And they didn't think that Tomasino was ready. And he basically stopped short of saying that if they had the personnel last year, they would have sent him to Milwaukee last year. But he was kept on the roster the entire season because they had no other choice, basically. And that's all fine and good. He put up 30 plus points as a rookie. This is why we need to find out how many people put up 30 plus points as a rookie and then don't play the next year. Like we just need to figure that out. Um, Cause and again, I think if like you would have told him before the season started that you would have Philip Tomasino playing fourth line role and scoring 30 points and 11 goals. I think he would have signed up for that hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, and I heard you guys talking on, on it's all your fault about like sort of set some lines and just like let them work through some stuff. 
at this point, when you are one six and one since returning to again North America, what do you have to lose behind with with just letting some lines play together, bringing up some young players? You cannot get worse than one six and one. Yeah, like you. I mean, I, technically, I guess you could, but but you can't I mean, after, really get that worse. It was. I think it was the first game against Dallas in, in Nashville. I asked him if if Tolvanen on that second line because Tolvanen and Johansson Niederreiter. I know that game was bad, but that line was far and away the best line of, the, of of that game, and they looked really good. And I saw the way they played together. I was like, man, if they get 10, 12 games of experience under their belt playing together, that could be a dangerous line. And I asked Sean Hines, I said, is this a permanent move or is this a game by game basis? And he basically just took the easy road out, and he's like, well, we just wanted to see what what would happen. Right. He's like, we're going to evaluate everything going forward, and I I think that's his mentality of. If let's get through one game and if something looks really good, maybe try it a second game. But I mean, it was the same thing when we asked Matias Eckholm about playing with Ryan McDonough. And he was like, look, you can't judge us until we're 30, 40, 50 games into this because we well, don't have <laughs> because we can't build chemistry. And he said the same thing with PK Subban. It took almost the full season of, of Subban's first year before they, they really developed their chemistry. And they don't have that kind of time, unfortunately. But no. give them you more get, than give them more than seven 20 games. Shifts. You get seven yeah. games. Um, so here's my recipe for success from a line combination standpoint, brought to you by Jaspers, which has spectacular recipes. I guess you could also have a recipe from a liquor store, right? You need to you need a good yeah. good cocktail recipe. So Weiss Liquors, Jaspers, make sure you check out. I our, can personally our vouch for Jaspers Smashburger recipe. It is very tasty. Ooh, okay, and I have, and I can personally vouch for the bourbon selection at uh, <laughs> <laughs> at Weiss Liquors. Uh, there's no question about that. So here here's me. I I'm leaving the top line alone, the herd line alone. Niederreiter, Johansson, and then either Tomasino or Tolbinen. I think Tomasino has more of the upside and skill and confidence right now. So I would go with 26 over 28 right there in that particular, t- that slot. And then with the fourth line, l- like bring up one youthful player that is going to be like shot out of a cannon, whether that's Afanasiev or Parson in, and maybe it's sure what I don't know, but I think you've got some more upside with some other guys and then Cla- Cody glass at center. And then the other guy who doesn't play on the second line. So if you're going to go Tolvanen on the second line, go Tomasino on the fourth line. If you're going to go Tomasino on the second line, go Tolvanen on the fourth line. And and I think that is how you get the most skill and speed onto the ice. Does that mean you're going to win games all the time? No, it doesn't. But if if we're having a philosophical debate about this team swinging too far back towards the physicality side of things, the way you do that isn't to mix and match a bunch of McCarrens and Smiths and Sherwoods and Glasses and Tolvanens, it's to pick one side or the other and go with it. That would be my recipe for success. Brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks over at Jasper's. Free parking, smash burgers for $10, beer for three during Preds games, home and road. Don't pay to go watch the team in person. Sorry, Sean Henry. Go to... Go, go At least to until Jasper. they start winning again. <laughs> go to Jasper's. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, on your way home, Swing by Weiss Liquors or just Uber Eats, uh, search Weiss Liquors and have the booze delivered right to your house, uh, which is a much safer way to do it. Um, all right. So all of uh, real quickly, here's some stats for you. Just I wanted to throw these out there because we're going to get into trade talks and hot seat conversation. But here's some numbers for you to consider. Uh, Nashville. Uh, this is a natural stat trick here. 82 high danger chances so far on offense. 20, 20th in the league. So they they are creating more chances than they are delivering. So that's just a, a number to consider. Uh, 137 mid-danger chances. That is 16th in the league. So from a high-danger and mid-danger standpoint, they are not as bad as 30th or 31st or 29th in scoring. Like They are actually creating a few more chances 
than they are actually delivering. So to me, that's a hopeful sign maybe for those big stars, top players to get going. Um, the other side of that equation, of course, is high and mid danger chances on defense. 13th in the NHL with 86 high danger chances allowed. Uh, 20th in the NHL with 142 mid danger chances, uh, middle danger chances allowed. Uh, obviously, that is those numbers are better than what the defense looks like from an eye test standpoint. So just wanted to throw those numbers out there uh, and see what you had to say about them. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, there's 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 not you can't sugarcoat it. The offense is bad. The shooting is bad. They are they are producing and they are creating chances, but they're not good chances. Like they're they're not going out there and I, I it's frustrating to watch like the passing is very disconnected. It, it, it almost just feels like they don't have a game plan. It's just like, well, let's just let's just skate up towards the net and one of you guys will go out there. It's like that. Yeah, that that schoolyard mentality of like, oh, I'm just going to throw the football deep and someone will catch it. Like, it feels like that's how they're playing right now. There's no rhyme yeah. or reason to what they're doing. And I mean, third few is power play goals. Fourth few is goals scored. Like, it, it's clearly whatever they are doing, it's not working. Maybe they need to go and find Peter Laviolette's power play consultant again and, and get him in the building because yeah, they, they need some help in the worst way. I don't know about Lavi's power play being the thing to turn to. Um, I, I remember <laughs> I remember having to cover that. I will say to to, to y'all's point on Monday's show on it's all your fault, like give them a time. I do think being on this road trip was a good opportunity where there's not a lot of distractions. You're together a lot. There's a lot of uh, team building that's going on. This would have been a good time, especially considering the quality of the opponent, Edmonton, Calgary, and then Colorado to end it with Vancouver and Seattle mixed in. That would have been a good time where everyone's together. You're always together as a team, right? There's not coming home and with the new babies and the wives and the families, like there's none of that stuff. You're all together. That would have been a good five-game, week-and-a-half stretch to say, here are the new lines, let's figure it out. And, and say, at the end of these five games, we're going to reevaluate everything. That would have been a, a good, an interesting approach, although it seems like maybe he's going to change them up again. So we'll see on, on Thursday night against Calgary, where competition level doesn't get any easier uh, at all. So let, let's... Uh, all right, so let's finish up with with a, a hot seat conversation about John Hines, which is far, probably far too premature, and then some trade talk, which I cannot believe we are having that conversation on you know the the first week of November. But but let's get into it. So I was listening to this podcast called "It's All Your Fault," hosted by two people that have more chemistry than all the Preds defensemen, uh, uh, Jeremy Gover and and uh, yours truly there, Michael Gallagher. Uh, go rate, review, subscribe. And you guys started talking about trades, trading for a top six forward. And I wanted to pull all my hair out. Um, in part, number one, it's just it's just too early to start talking about that stuff to me. I can't I can't do it. I can't I can't do it. Uh, but number two, this team is not one forward away from being a Stanley Cup championship contender. They might be a couple of young pieces developing away from being close to developing into a contender next year, <laughs> if, that, if that makes any sense. I don't want to hear a, a single rumor from a single national, like all these Elliot Friedman types and Scott Burnsides and all these folks that have all the access to all the agents in the NFL GMs, because you know that's where everybody's getting all their information from. If there is a rumor out there that David Poyle is looking to acquire a top six winger in like before February 1st, I am going to lose my mind because this team is not in a position to quote unquote, go for it. 
<laughs> like they are, if anything, they are on the other side of the, the spectrum where they should be looking to trade away all of their pieces and go for the guy that I don't think as many Preds fans know his name as you guys think, Connor Bedard, uh, who's going to be the number one overall pick and has got, you know, whatever, pick a name, Ovechkin, Crosby, McDavid, you know, whatever, right? Austin Matthews. Scouts have said he he will be better than Connor McDavid, which that's, is that's stupid, but which is asinine, but <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. But hey, if it's true, maybe we should suck for that guy. I mean, honestly, um, if, you, if you go watch some of his highlights on YouTube, the kid is pretty damn impressive. I don't know if I would go Connor McDavid level just yet because he's yeah. like seventeen, but he 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 <laughs> will be pretty good. Like, but, but why why would you guys why would entertain entertaining? Because again, as part of the conversation, if you're going to trade pieces away that are not named UC Saros, which is your best trade chip right now, D- whether it's Dante Fabro or Ellie Tolvanen, you guys know how I feel. Ellie Tolvanen, I think, needs more time. Otherwise, he's going to end up Kevin Fiala and being great somewhere else, and everyone's going to be pissed off you traded him. I-, I, want, I want to know where this team has enough talent to make its make itself better without also making itself worse. I don't know how you trade Dante Fabro, who is your top line pairing right now. I'm not saying he's good or great, <laughs> but he's playing with Yossi on the top line. Like they don't have the depth to make these moves. And I just, I, I need you to explain, help, help me with this. Help, help me with why is it the Preds should even be thinking or considering acquiring another piece, like a top six forward who is going to be very expensive. Well, I will. I'll just say this: before when we were recording, we had a very thrown together tentative game plan to talk about topics to talk about, and Gover kind of sprung the the trade thing on me. So that was you're my blaming, part of blaming that him, huh? You're blaming him, huh? Okay. My part of that conversation was done on the fly, but I don't disagree with his premise that like a trade could be imminent, and the reason why I feel that way is David Poyle is a lot closer to the end of his career than he is at the beginning of it. David Poyle is what 73 74. I his clock is ticking on his time as Nashville as Nashville Predators general manager. I, I I do agree that they are not close to to being in go for it mode, but a lot I think a lot of fans now are just kind of coming to terms with like okay, suck, lose the season, tank for Connor Bedard because Connor Bedard is in their mind the next Connor McDavid. But Dave and I, I said this on It's All Your Fault. David Poyle is not going to risk. He's not going to mortgage one season to get a player like that when he's not going to be around long enough to watch that player win games for this franchise. I think I, David Poyle's got two or three years left maximum. So I think even though the roster as it is now is not really good enough to be in go for it mode, David Poyle is always in go for it mode. But but see, if that's the case, then I think he should absolutely step aside. If you if you cannot should, be. I agree. If you cannot be a good steward of the future of the franchise after you are gone, then you got no bit. Then you then you need to be gone now. And and again, I'm not saying that David Poyle is deserves that. But if 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 Connor Bedard is the best thing for this franchise, which again, sure, fine, he'd be wonderful and he could save the franchise and win a Stanley Cup and ten years from now and and you know whatever. Like God, who knows? But my point is, is that if if David Poyle is thinking in a two year I have to do this for me situation, then he's, then he's done. Then he's done. I don't want him making the decisions anymore. Because I, don't, I, I don't think he's thinking in a two year, I have to do this for me kind of scenario. I think he's thinking of, we need to win a cup in the next two or three years. Not, not, I'm not saying he's doing it for selfish reasons. I think he's, I think 
he is genuinely trying to put the best team on the ice that he can. I think it just happens to coincide with the fact that he only has a few years left as general manager because his time running this franchise is running out, whether management pushes him out the door sure, or sure. he decides to hang it up himself. Well, and, and I'm not suggesting that it's not a hard thing for a human being to put their own professional legacy and desires to, 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 to make that a secondary priority to, all right, let me make sure that I'm setting this franchise up for the best success it can be after I leave. I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do. That's against human nature, frankly, to do that. But to be a good steward of the franchise, I, I think has to be the goal here. And if you're no longer doing that, then I think it's time for you to go. Now, I, I don't think he is. I don't think he's making any big moves to acquire pieces to quote unquote, go for it. Could he tinker around the edges? Like we always see him do. Could he make some weird trades? Like, I, I don't know, but there are a lot of tradable pieces on this team that I don't think we should be considering a trade until the deadline comes around and they're out of it or they're very much in it. And it is a decision to like, again, need a writer, very tradable piece this year. You, you Tolvin and tradable piece this year. Fabro tradable piece this year. Good Lord. UC Soros tradable piece this year. If you are going to tear it all down, we know how to do that. We, we know what the, what would happen if that, if we, if it's mid February and they're, you know, behind Arizona, <laughs> like, like we know how that's going to go. I just don't want to see. I don't want to see a single investment in 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 getting better until they work out who they're going to be this year. And I don't think we're going to know that for another month and month and a half. And I understand that, but I think I think if you're David Poyle right now, you're you're trying to stop. You're trying to stop the hole from getting bigger before it gets too big. You can't get out of it. So I I fully understand if they're trailing Arizona in the standings around the trade deadline, then start selling off pieces. And I, and I understand that. But I think being 10 games into the season, the Predators aren't so bad that it can't be turned around. Right. But they're also not good enough that you hope that you're hopeful that they like you, you know, they'll turn it around. And I think that's that's the slippery slope that the Predators are in right now, especially with David Poyle. And I, I think and I, and I think the, I think to Gover's point for bringing up possibly trading for a, a forward. I would even I would even argue if they make a trade, you go and you get a, a defenseman to shore up the the defense because I just think what they're throwing out there right now is not very good. I, I this I, is I, where I I'm. Think. This is like, how do you have assets to go get a defenseman and a top six thirty goal scorer and not completely ruin your team? Like I don't. I, I'm not saying go for both. I say I you understand. get one or the other. I think I think you decide you need a forward, a top six score, or do you need a defenseman? Because there are there are plenty of guys that are out there that they could go get. Yeah. And yeah, it's gonna probably cost them a first round pick. It's probably gonna cost them a prospect. Like it, the, these assets acquiring them are not cheap. But I think I think the reason why you at least explore that this early on in the season is because for all the reasons we mentioned, all the things that are wrong with this team, the defense looks bad, the goal scoring isn't there, the forwards aren't playing well. All this stuff, like the the, the answer to fixing these things, it, there's not really an internal, there's not really an internal promotion that you can do. There's not really an in-house option that can fix those. The goal yeah, scoring, see, the goal scoring is lacking. You can go out and you can you can trade for see, a goal scorer. The defense is not playing well. You can go out and you can trade for a better defenseman. I, the, I think that's why you go out and you make those moves because. The answers to fixing your problems, you, there's not really a lot of good in-house options to do that right now. So this this leads us right into the hot seat conversation about John Hines because I think, as I've said a long time, I, I I think John Hines is the was the right coach for right now, meaning when he was hired, 
to develop a bunch of young players, it doesn't mean that he is the right coach to win a championship. I, I don't, you can be the right coach for right now and not the right coach for 10 years from now. I, I don't know that that's always been my, my stance on him, but right now it costs you nothing to try off to try Parson in, to try Tolvin in, to try Tomasino. Oh, I agree. It costs you absolutely nothing. And what does John, what is the one thing we know John Hines is actually good at developing young players. So, and Carl Taylor is good at that. So I, I wouldn't say that we know he's good at that. I, I think that's his reputation. Okay. I think the fact that this this Predators roster is underachieving is proof that he's not good at development. But that's just well, my opinion. I, well, but the underachievement is coming from the guys who are like 31 years old. <laughs> so, so I I so again, this goes to what John Hines is and why I think the hot seat conversation is interesting, because I, I would I point out that the fact that Philip Tomasino is in the AHL right now after playing a full season in the NHL is proof that John Hines isn't as great as at development as everyone thinks he is. Yeah. Or, or or he's not good at managing the professionals once they're there. He's good at getting Tomasino to 32 points, but he's not good at managing him once he gets there. I, I don't know. I, he, I think he, the high... he's the he's the Daniel Carr of head coaches. He he should be in the AHL apparently. <laughs> so I think the hot seat talk is obviously far too premature. It's it, there's I mean I, oh, know I the don't lot... I don't at all. And but but here's what I wanted to get to. I think it's I have started because it starts as a vocal minority on Twitter. It starts as like, you know, going deep down a Reddit rabbit hole where like these 14 people think somebody should be fired. That's the case in every sport for every team in every walk of life and every you know region of the country. I, I, I am not I am not there yet. I am not ready to even have the conversation yet. But but if it continues to look this poor in sort of every facet of the game, and all the decisions that you are continuing to make don't feel like a they're making a difference and b they feel very desperate that is when you start to you know you want to know what are the conversations behind closed doors like right now what is the conversation between David Poyle and John Hines cuz there have been times where John Hines John Hines had to call timeout in the first period of a game to yell at his team like that it's not working. So I, I, we yeah. all agree it's not working. I think everyone, the players and the coaches, have deserved the right to allow more than just 10 games to see where we're at, considering this team has made the playoffs. Every year he's been the coach. Forget about what happened in the playoffs. It's not important for this conversation. But is 2-14 and 14 record in the playoffs? Yeah, it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's impl- it, it. <laughs> Again, I am slowly... I the more this goes along, the more I will slowly inch towards considering the idea of making a change. I don't think it buys this franchise much. Just like I this is why trading for a piece and giving up young assets for a piece like a 30 goal score seems asinine to me. Because if we are on the verge of firing the coach or selling off pieces because they're so bad, then there's no way in hell they should be looking to be quote unquote buyers. And I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, ultimately, large scale, I think the, the issue comes down to this. When Peter Leviolet was fired and John Hines was brought in, that after that season ended and they got embarrassed by the Coyotes in the, in the play-in series or whatever, that should have been when they did the rebuild. That's when they should have had the fire sale. They should have started from the ground up and they should have let John Hines build his team. They kind of did though, right? Like Ellis, oh, they, they, they ran it back. They Ellis and Arvidsson. They and... traded some of the players, but Ryan Johansson, Forsberg, Duchesne. You Saros, can't get like... you can't get rid of Johansson and Duchesne, and then they came back and were great. 
I know, but uh, but what I'm saying is John Hines was handed Peter Laviolette's roster and was told to implement your system and go make a run at the cup because your predecessor did it. You should be able to do it. And that's not how John Hines operates, and that's not how John Hines is effective at coaching. And, and I understand what you're saying about trading for a scorer, defenseman, and all that stuff, and like there's merit to that. But I I, I just, I don't know. This, this whole do you, situation. Do you think John Hines is getting fired this year in the season? If they get to the trade deadline and they're out of the playoffs, yes. I, I so I said this in our in our group chat last night with Gover and Bradford and a couple other Preds writers. I said, "How do I get into the group chat?" By the way, I need to get in there. Can add you. I said <laughs> another ten to fifteen games of what's happened over the last two weeks, and John Hines will be fired because. Oh, okay. And I, and I get they just signed him to a two year contract extension, and I and I understand that all doesn't mean anything. But John Hines, and to me, I feel like he's he's kind of if he were to go to Arizona or Buffalo, I think he would be a good coach for them because he's the coach that takes you when you're low and gets you like halfway there. And then you let him go and then you bring in the guy that takes you to the Stanley Cup final. See, and I I, I, I totally agree with that. And I actually think that's, I think he did way more of that than people think. I, because again, you, you, you know, <laughs> all the pieces that were on Lavi's last one or two teams, almost all of them are gone with the, ex- with the exception of the guys who are too expensive to trade. Like Craig Smith, like- Craig Smith gone, you know, like Ellis gone, Arvidsson gone, Benino gone. Like you can, you can go down the list of every piece that was, I mean, Pekka retired, but I think they made the big switch and that's why they had Trennan and, and Jano and Tolvanen and Tomasino. And like they, they brought in a new wave of young players for him to develop them. I think he's done a good job getting them to where they need to be. And I technically agree that he's probably not the guy to get them to take them to the next level. Frankly, like John Tortorella, who I can't stand, probably would get more out of this team in year one. We'd all hate him by like year three, but like oh, he'd, yeah. come, he'd come in and get a lot more out of these guys as as veterans. And I get that. Here's what I would say to to finish the conversation: If I don't think any one thing solves the big picture problem here, probably and this not. is this is my concern: if you get to the trade deadline and you're out of it, it is not just moving pieces for future assets. It's all of it. It's the general manager. It's the head coach. It's trading all the pieces. It is the complete teardown and fresh start. If you're going to do it, you got to do it full scale. I think that happens regardless, unless they win a first round playoff series. I think anything short of winning a playoff series and getting to the second round of the playoffs, anything short of that, we're going to see some sort of wide scale sweeping changes at the top. Whether whether it's John Hines or David Poyle or both, or maybe I think maybe, both. Maybe you split up David Poyle's duties. David, the problem is David Poyle has no one to answer to but himself, except yeah. for management. And management doesn't really—they've shown they don't really care about some of this stuff. I think you you break up the the president of hockey operations and the general manager role, and you have him pick one. Maybe you move him over to the hockey ops side, and you hire a yeah. new GM. That might I, be the, the way to go. I I tend to agree that with what you're saying about like if they don't make the playoffs or lose a playoff series in the first round, there's going to be a lot of wholesale changes. I think that is okay. I think that's an appropriate thing to say. And I think that's a smart thing for fans to think about. That is a very, this is the caveat for this entire conversation. We are 60, 70 games from that. (laughs) So we have to allow these guys to do their jobs, allow the players to try. I I think, I think John Hines best case scenario has 20, 20 games, I would say, to turn it around. You say he could be he could be fired before the new year, is what you're saying. 
I believe so. If if you get to the okay. if you get close to Christmas and the Predators are in last place and Chicago and Arizona are ahead of you in the in the standings and your your win percentage is like what 22% or whatever it is right now, I think if they have if they get to the end of December and they've yeah. had repeat performances like the last two weeks, John Hines is very much in danger of losing his job. I, I, I will say uh <laughs> I, I will say hockey coaches uh, the the decision making around GMs and hockey coaches is about as fickle as my daughter's Halloween costume taste. Like they, it changes every day. They change them all the time. Like hockey coaches are not like NFL coaches. They get changed all the time, mid season, off season, three times in five years. Like hockey coaches are like they just it's just different in hockey than it is everywhere else. I, I don't know. So and the, and the reason uh, I believe that is because I feel like we're we're three years into this, and I feel like the message John Hines' message is wearing thin. And it happened with Peter Laviolette in year six. But the difference is Peter Laviolette has the skins on the wall. He has a Stanley Cup ring. He has the President's Trophy. He took this team to a final. I think the message with John Hines is wearing thin. And I'm not saying he's losing the okay. locker room or anything like that. But I just think John Hines right now and maybe by the end of the year will have run his course as the head coach of the Predators. I would put that at the trade deadline, but that's not all that different than what you're saying. So Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, Colorado, all of those, or at least three of those will be on the board and on the books before we come back and talk to you guys again next week. Make sure you check out It's All Your Fault. Please go to Jasper's, everybody. It's a wonderful place to watch the game. $10 smash burgers, free parking, $3 beers during games. You got the game room, the grab-and-go market. It's a great place to literally do anything. You want a it's nice date. You, you want to take the kids. The food menu's great. The, the, it smells wonderful in there. There's no cigarette smoke. The, fl the floors are clean, as you always point out. The bathrooms are nice. Exactly. The game room is free. There's just it's an awesome place to go. And then of course Weiss Liquors. Support local business folks. Family owned and operated since 1932. Weiss Liquors. Search on Uber Eats for Weiss Liquors. Have the booze delivered right to your door in as quickly as 20 minutes. Great bourbon selection. Andrew, the manager, check him out. You can go in there and he'll help you with wine selection. I have no idea about wine. So I go in there and I say, Andrew, help me. And he gives me the right wine for the right occasion. Make sure you check out Weiss Liquors, Jasper's, Nashville Post, Nashville Scene. Michael, where can people find you, my man? Screaming for John Hines' job. Where can people find you? On Twitter at MGSports underscore and on the Nashville Post and NashvilleScene.com. There you have it. Love those folks. Support local journalism. Support local business. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll have something happy to talk about next week on the show. This has been the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network.